Welcome to the Property Magic Podcast. My name is Simon Zucci, and in this podcast, I'm going to deep dive into the property investing strategies and investor mindset for my book, Property Magic. I will also share real estate investing hints, tips, and tricks, which I normally only share on my Property Mastermind Mentorship. Hello, and welcome to episode number 28 of the Property Magic Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about how to adapt your property investing strategy to suit changing market conditions and why is it important to adapt and how I've done this over my investing journey. And also, how can you work out for yourself what might be the best strategy to use in any market conditions? So first of all, let's think about why is it important to adapt? Well, look, certain strategies work better in certain market conditions. And if you're going to do just one strategy and you might become really successful at that and you don't take account of what's happening in the market, you could become unstuck. And particularly when people have been very, very successful, they think they know what they're doing and obviously they're getting great results, but something happens and then they can't do what they were planning to do. You see, the reality is the investments and decisions that we make are based very much on our knowledge and experience at the time. One of my favorite sayings is, you don't know what you don't know. And I've got a great example of that because I've got properties in my portfolio that I've bought over the years that at the time seemed like a really good purchase based on what I knew at the time and what was going on in the market. But with hindsight, if I had my chance again, and based on what I know now, I probably wouldn't buy one of those, some of those properties again. So That saying you don't know what you don't know is a really important thing to keep in your mind. So what I'd like to do is explain to you how I've adapted my strategy over time and why I've actually done that. So for the first 11 years of my investing journey from 1995 through till about 2006, I was pretty much investing in the very conventional way. My first property was a house for me to live in. A couple of years later, I bought another one. I kept that first one and I started to speed up the number of properties such that I was able to leave my job in Cadbury's in 2001. And by 2003, I'd completely replaced my former salary. But to be honest, I was buying properties in a very conventional way. Almost everything I bought was from an estate agent and I'd got from some really good deals. You can absolutely get good deals from estate agents. I'd been to a couple of auctions because I thought, well, that's a place to buy property cheap. Uh, But to be honest, I didn't really have much success at auctions because other people always outbid me. Or maybe you could say I was successful in that I didn't pay more than I wanted to pay. A big mistake people make in auctions is they, because they've invested time and sometimes money into a property, might have done a survey, you know, it goes up to the price they're prepared to pay and, and then it goes over and they think, oh, just another thousand pounds or just another thousand. Before they know, they pay 10,000 pounds more for a property that probably isn't worth what they paid for it. So um, I was mainly buying through agents where I had a bit more control. And I got to the point with some agents where I was the first person they would call when a property came on the market in a particular area because they knew if it met my criteria, I'd pretty much buy that property. So that worked pretty well for me for the first 11 years. And then something happened in 2006 and I changed my strategy because I had a step change in my knowledge. Now, people can get step change in knowledges by participating in learning programs, going on seminars or home study courses. This happened because I happened to meet a couple of different people at different property investor network meetings 
and I put what they said together to come up with something that I wasn't aware you could even do, but was an incredibly powerful strategy. And that really was when I learned about buying from motivated sellers, buying below market value. And I might have told this story before uh, on a previous podcast, um, because I think in episode number six of this podcast, I talk all about how you pay less for your next investment and base that's through working through motivated sellers. So go and check out episode number six. And basically in that, I talk about how at one pin meeting, I met someone who was buying massively below market value. And then a different pin meeting, I met a mortgage broker who told me that if you buy at a big discount, we could actually buy it with no money down. And the way we were doing it then was we were putting an offer in, we were buying a property cash, someone else's cash, by the way. And then we were doing a same day remortgage. So as soon as we bought the property and owned it, we were able to do a same day remortgage, which meant we could pay back the money we'd borrowed to buy the property and cover all the costs and sometimes get money in our pocket and have a property with no money down, no money left in. It was a great strategy. And as a result of that, I bought property everywhere. Knowing what I know now, I probably wouldn't bought some of those properties because there were things that I should have known about, but I didn't at the time. But suffice to say, I built a really big, quick portfolio. And in six months, I was able to buy an extra million pounds of property and add about £50,000 profit to my cash flow. And that's kind of where we came up with the headline for the mastermind program that we launched the year after in 2007. And on that, we were just teaching people to do exactly what I had done to find motivated sellers and use the Morge Express same day remortgage product. And that was working fine. And then something happened again in 2008 and we had to change our strategy. Now this time it was due to finance. Uh, as you're probably aware, the credit crunch really started in America in July 2007. By November 2007, it had come to the UK and we saw Northern Rock, uh, the, the bank kind of collapsed. You might remember the images of people standing, queuing around the corner outside Northern Rock, queuing to take their money out. And um, that was the start of the credit crunch, really. And basically what had happened was there'd been some irresponsible lending and irresponsible borrowing in the mid 2000s. You know, you could just sign to say you can afford it. And I think a lot of people all over the world had finance they could never really afford to pay. It was called this toxic debt and it was all bundled up with other good mortgage debt. And this all came out and, and basically the market crashed. Uh, lenders didn't want to lend. Uh, in 2008, everyone was trying to sell their properties and we changed our strategy and we found another way to finance no money down. And um, interesting, I know some investors who had been very successful in the mid 2000s, they'd bought lots of property exactly the way that I was doing it. And they, they only did that one thing. They got good at it, but they only did one thing. And because they didn't adapt, they got stuck. And when that particular method of financing was no longer available, those investors literally didn't do anything for a couple of years till they worked out that actually you could still keep on investing. So recognize that change is going to happen. And at that time, you know, we were buying lots of property, our clients were buying lots of property, and we were using creative structures like purchase lease options because it was difficult to get finance. And, you know, you might think that um, when everyone's selling, is, is that really a good time to be getting in? Well, yes, it is. Um, let me ask you a question. If you could wind back the clock to 2008, 2009, knowing what you know now, would you buy more property then? 
And for most people, the answer is, well, absolutely yes. You know, me and my clients who bought property then, most of it's pretty much doubled in value over the last 10 years. So I think we're actually going to have a, a similar opportunity like that at the end of 2020 and into 2021. But I'll talk more about that later in this podcast. So then moved to 2015. And again, we had to change strategy, this time more because of a change in taxation legislation. So the government announced in July 2015 that they were going to introduce Section 24, which was coming into play a couple of years after that in April 2017. Now, what does Section 24 mean? Well, we've covered this in previous podcasts, but basically it's a change in the way that we as property investors are taxed. Prior to that, most investors would hold property in their own name, and that was the more tax-efficient way of doing it. However, if you own property in your own name now, and if you're a higher rate taxpayer, which many property investors are, and if you've got mortgages, which most property investors have, it means you're going to pay a lot more tax on the income that you are making. Some people might even have a property where it might be a single let that's not actually making that much money. And if interest rates go up now, thankfully, at the moment, they're nice and low, but they might go up eventually, which means that some people have been in a scenario where they're not actually making any money from the property, no cash flow coming in. But on paper, technically, it's making a profit, which means they'll have to dig into their pocket, find some money to pay the tax man. So that really is not a good thing. It's not a great situation for uh, landlords at all. If you're a lower rate taxpayer, you're not affected. So there are some things you can do in terms of moving assets around. And if you buy in a company, also you're not affected. So this is why many people going forward are now buying property in company names. And that's the kind of attack that's a change that we made in 2015, recognizing what was happening. Um, I also started selling some of my portfolio, some of those properties I bought, which I wouldn't buy again if I had a second chance. I took the opportunity of selling a few properties each year to get rid of the ones that you know, if interest rates went up and Section 24 comes in, which may not be profitable, well, I thought, let me sell those properties and take out the profit, pay the tax that's due, the capital gains tax, take out the profit and reinvest that back into better cash flowing properties. So that's what I've been doing for the last few years. Now, by the way, I just want to mention that actually in the UK, a good strategy might be to sell one investment property each year. Now, if you just sell them, eventually you'll run out of properties to sell. So the idea is you sell one that's the least performing one, and then you take the profit and invest it in a much better performing one. So you're kind of keeping the same number of properties roughly. You're just making your portfolio a stronger, better cash flowing asset. And in these difficult times, that's a really smart thing to be doing. So by selling one property a year, you can utilize your personal capital gains allowance, which I think is about £12,000 at the moment. Uh, if you're in a partnership, you own it with a significant other a relationship partner, um, you can actually both use that allowance. So in other words, by selling one property a year, you can actually make up to £24,000 of tax-free income. Let me say that again, £24,000 a year tax-free, especially if you're a high-rate taxpayer, that's pretty amazing, right? So please make a note of that, selling one property a year from your portfolio, reinvesting the profit into a better property is probably a really smart thing to do. And I've been doing that for the last few, few years. Um, so moving forward, obviously we're buying in companies. That's probably the best way for most people. 
And this brings us up to now, to April 2020. So what's happening right now? Well, there's massive uncertainty. You know, Section 24 isn't helping. The fact that the UK has left the European Union, uh, I think that's good news generally because that was causing uncertainty, but no one really knows what's going to happen. And then obviously this COVID-19 virus, which really kind of took effect really last month in March 2020. And there are now most people are working from home. Um, Many people are fine doing that. Some people have been putting this as furlong where they're getting 80% of the salary. Uh, You've got tenants saying, I don't know if I can afford to pay the rent and having rent holidays. You've got landlords looking for mortgage holidays. And, you know, this is causing a lot of uncertainty. And what I believe this is going to do is it's going to cause more and more landlords who might be fed up already think, you know what, that's it. I want to sell. So I believe there's going to be a real opportunity in the next three to six months. So what is that opportunity going to be? What are the best strategies going to be? Well, what I want you to do is I want you to understand how you can look at the market, think about what's happening, apply some logic, and then probably work out what might be the best in strategy to use. So for example, um, I think we're going to see lots of businesses, unfortunately, go out of business. We're going to see people being made redundant, more people going on to benefits, and we may well go into recession. Okay, now on the face of it, that's a bad thing for many, many people. But we need to recognize it's in times of recession, those businesses that adapt or change or even new businesses that are created to help solve people's problems. Some of the most successful businesses have been created in a time of recession. So if you have that positive mindset, actually, this may not be a bad thing. We're going to see many landlords, I think, wanting to sell their properties. So we're going to see prices of property come down. And also, if people are, you know, if they feel like they're in a recession, if they're losing jobs and things, people are going to have to cut back. Um, they might decide that they can't afford to live on their own anymore. They might be living in a, an apartment or a studio. Maybe that's too expensive because they're paying the rent and all the bills. And they might decide to move home back with their parents if, if that's possible. Um, but if they live in a different city from their parents and, and they've got to work, maybe moving into an HMO might be a better solution. So an HMO is a house of multiple occupation where you rent out multiple rooms to different people and you might have a house of that sleeps five or six people. You've got five or six different contracts in that property. They have a shared community area like a kitchen, maybe a living room. My, maybe one or two people share a bathroom, but a lot of them have their own ensuite facilities. So I think there's going to be a bit of an increased demand for that kind of accommodation because HMOs are kind of a recession-proof strategy. People always need somewhere to live. And when times are tight, they want to save money. So living in a shared house is more cost-effective. Because we're going to see lots of landlords wanting to sell up and retire early, that means there might be less rental stock actually available. So I think we're going to see a really good demand for HMOs. And I think rent might actually go up. Now, just to caveat this, um, I think there is actually an oversupply of HMOs in most areas. But if you look online and look at the stock that is available, it's very average stock. It's got uh, magnolia walls and very boring furniture. Um, So actually, if you have 
stock rooms that are better than the average, you should always be able to fill those. And rather than competing on price, which is what most landlords do, you want to compete on quality and attract the tenants that are in the market to come to your property because they're getting something better for similar or maybe just slightly more money. Um, If you want to learn more about HMOs, uh, you should listen to episode number three of the Property Magic podcast, uh, which is all about how to replace your income from property quickly. And I think that's one of the best strategies to do that. And I really feel that HMOs is going to be a a real opportunity uh, over the next few months. Um, So it's going to be one of the best strategies. uh, And the best way to buy HMOs is from existing landlords who are wanting to retire. So you might want to check out episode number nine um, of this podcast, which is all about how to buy property from existing landlords. Now, also, depending on what happens to the finance market and the availability of finance, I believe that purchase lease options could also be a very powerful and popular strategy to be using in the next three to six months. Uh, You can learn more about purchase lease options on episode number 11 of the Property Magic podcast. Um, Very briefly, it's where you get control of a property. You have the ability to, um, to use that property. You pay a monthly fee to the owner and rent it out in a way such that the rent you get is more than you pay the owner. So you get a margin on the cash flow and it can work particularly well with HMOs. So sometimes combining these strategies, HMOs and purchases options work really, really well together. So I guess my my key message from this particular episode of the podcast is that change happens. You should expect the economy is going to change, the market's going to change, the sentiment is going to change, the type of tenants might change, and we need to adapt when these things happen. And it's the landlords, the investors who do nothing, who keep trying to go on the same way, they're the ones who are going to get into difficulty. But if you look at the market, think what's going on, use some logic, you could probably work out what might be a good strategy to get into. Uh, One final thought on this, as you probably know, serviced accommodation has been hit very hard because people are staying at home. They're not going out for short breaks. They're not going away for work and those kind of things. So uh, a lot of people in serviced accommodation have repurposed their property. They might be using a singlets or HMOs, or they might be renting to local council who've got to get homeless people off streets, or they might be um, using it as isolation units for people who are on the, the front line with the NHS. So adapting your property use is always a smart thing to do. Um, but also, I think that actually, once this is all over, I think actually service accommodation might have a bit of a boom. Because I think there'll be a lot of people who are fed up of being at home and they want to get out and they want to do stuff. So that's one thing. And also there'll be less competition in the market because many amateurs will have thought, oh, this is too risky. I I can't do this. They will have given up. And remember, persistence is really important. So actually, I think in the future, when we're over this current crisis with COVID-19, I think actually service accommodation is probably going to be a good thing to get back into. So I do hope this podcast has been useful and stimulated your thinking. Uh, If you liked it, it would be really uh, fantastic if you would go and give me a five-star review from wherever you downloaded it from, whether that's iTunes or Google Play. And if you can even put a comment about what specifically you get out of it and why you like it, that would be really useful to help other people uh, listen to the podcast and hopefully benefit as well. 
In the next episode of the podcast, I'm going to share with you more about HMOs because I believe that's going to be a great strategy moving forward. I'm going to talk about how you can maximize the rental income and how you don't need many HMOs to replace your income. So for most people, between three and five HMOs is probably more than enough. So that's in the next episode of the Property Magic Podcast. Until next time, remember to always invest with knowledge, invest with skill. Thanks for listening to the Property Magic Podcast. To get this week's show notes, please visit www.propertymagicbook.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can contact me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on social media. And I highly recommend you subscribe to my YouTube channel to watch loads of valuable property training for free. All of the details are in the show notes. Until next time, invest with knowledge, invest with skill.